welcome. First of all, welcome. This is Unsolicited Perspectives. I'm Bruce Anthony, your host here to lead the conversation in important events and topics that are shaping today's society. Join the conversation by following us wherever you get your audio podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to get our video podcasts. Rate, review, like, comment, share. Share with your friends, share with your family, hell, even share with your enemies. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about an abortion case in Texas and Henry Ford and square dancing. But that's enough of the intro. Let's get to the show. Very rarely do I like to talk about salacious stuff. That's a lie. Important salacious stuff I like to talk about. But things that are pop culture very rarely do I like to bring it up or, or talk about it. But there was something interesting that happened last week leading into this week between uh, Melissa Ford, who's a uh, participant in the Joe Button podcast, and Cameron, who has his own podcast with Mace called It Is What It Is, in which Cameron and Mace were talking about a past incident where they basically had sexual relations with a young lady uh, in a whorehouse. And Melissa Ford commented about that story saying, are you sure that she was of age? Implying that they could have been underage. Um, This set Cameron off because in today's climate, To accuse somebody, not in today's climate, in any climate, to accuse somebody of being a pedophile, which I believe is the worst crime that there is. The worst, the most horrific act in life, I believe, is pedophilia. Um, Leave the kids alone. But to accuse somebody of that, it's a very, very serious crime. And she did it flippantly. Um, There was no cause for her to say that based on the story that Cameron and Mace told. She apologized and Cameron, you know, when somebody apologizes to you, you don't have to show them grace. It's good to do it. I tend to show people grace when they apologize because I know how difficult it is to apologize. Uh, Cameron wasn't going to show her any grace and Cameron did what he did. He went on his Instagram live and attacked her for something that she was wrong about. You don't accuse somebody of being a pedophile uh, flippantly. That's just not something that you should ever do. Uh, You shouldn't accuse anybody of anything, of any serious crime flippantly. Um, That's the reason why they have such laws like, um, you know, and such laws like slander. Right. Like you can't just say whatever you want to say about any and anybody. You can't do that. So she apologized. Cameron is not giving her grace. And I'm actually on his side. Look, you don't have to give everybody grace. What she said was uncalled for. It's absolutely great that she apologized. But people got to be careful about what, what they say and do. I know that from having this podcast. I don't just flippantly throw out accusations. Uh, I make jokes but not serious accusations without having some evidence or some proof to back up whatever I'm saying. So for a lot of people that are out there doing podcasts, just be careful. You know, if you're going to go out there and speak and have channels and YouTube and the Joe Button podcast is very, very popular. Um, they talk about 
events that are going on in society and pop culture. Uh, sometimes you're going to wade into some dangerous territory. I enjoy the show. So uh, keep doing what you're doing, Joe Button. Keep doing what you're doing, Cameron and Mace. Um, but let's just be careful not to hurt other people that are doing the same thing as you and be careful what you say about people. Uh, today's show, I, I want to put some humor in it. And I'm sure I'll try and find some humor in it. But this first topic that we're going to talk about here is a topic I had Danielle Matheson on earlier this year talking about abortion. And, um, you know, she's a a doctor and, uh, you know, ever since Roe v. Wade was overturned and all of these states uh, started putting these abortion bans, we've seen some really bad situations. And then we've seen some really good situations when lawmakers decide to put it on the ballot. We've seen overwhelmingly that people support abortion rights. Uh, That's the reason why most politicians don't want to put it on the ballot because they don't want to give the people the voice. Uh, Right now going on in Texas, there's a case with Katie Cox and she's suing the state of Texas to be able to have an abortion. So Katie Cox is a 31-year-old mother of two from the Dallas area. Uh, of course, she's involved in a, in a lawsuit against the state of Texas over restrictive abortion rights. She is currently 20 weeks pregnant with a fetus diagnosed with, I'm going to butcher this, but bear with me, trisomy 18. Um, her physicians told her they couldn't perform an abortion as long as the baby had a heartbeat due to the state abortion ban. Uh, she has visited, she has visited the emergency room four times due to pain and discharge. She got a temporary restraining order. Uh, no, a temporary restraining order was granted, allowing her to terminate her per- uh, pregnancy. Uh, but the Texas Supreme Court put a, a hold on the ruling um, so they could review the case. What is trisomy 18? I think that's important to distinguish what it is that this baby has and the reason why she is seeking an abortion. So it's a no, it's known as the Edwards syndrome, which I'm going to use now for a here on out, calling it the Edwards syndrome. Um, it's known as the Edwards syndrome. It's a severe, it's a severe genetic condition caused by a presence of a third copy of all or part of a chromosome of, of a chromosome 18. What is that chromosome 18? I don't know. But it's not good. Uh, symptoms include a low birth uh, weight, multiple birth defects, and uh, defining physical characteristics. So it's not quite Down syndrome, but uh, if for layman terms, it's similar to that. Um, the uh, the condition is diagnosed via an ultrasound during pregnancy and confirmed by doctors. There is no cure for Edwards syndrome, and most cases do not last the full pregnancy and result in stillbirths. Uh, this uh, Edwards syndrome occurs in around one in 5,000 5, live births. So what does that mean? Edwards syndrome is going to cause, it's causing Katie Paxson complications within her own body. Like I said, she's been to the emergency room four times and been discharged. And um, that is the state attorney's uh, basis for not allowing this abortion. I'll get to Texas state uh, state attorney in just a moment, but we want to focus on Katie and and her baby and uh, what's going on here. She already has two kids. Um, she obviously didn't want to have an abortion, but the baby is either going to die in the womb or only survive a couple of days after it's given birth. 
and also, if she continues on with this pregnancy, it can further complicate her ever being able to have kids in the future. So with that information given out to you folks, obviously, no matter what abortion ban is out there, you would say just, she is justified for seeking an abortion. Not only is it causing her harm currently and in the future, unfortunately, the baby is not going to be viable. Now, some people carry births to term, knowing that the baby is going to either be stillborn or die a few days later. I can't speak for other people. I can say for me, I think that's more damaging to life than terminating the pregnancy and having the baby go through that, right? Because the baby can't tell you what pain that they're going through. They can't tell you how they're dealing with whatever it is the few couple of days that they have. I mean, I think that's torturous. Personally, I believe that that's torturous, but I believe everybody should have a choice. I believe in abortion rights. So am I biased? Sure. I'm a little biased. Do I understand that everybody says there is a right to life? Sure. And, and in some arguments, I can't disagree with that. But in this particular case, feels like Katie Cox has a pretty good case to get an abortion. Mind you, she's already 20 weeks pregnant, right? So she's already five months in. She's in her second trimester. At a certain point, it's going to be tougher and tougher for them to terminate the pregnancy uh, as long as the Supreme Court holds off on its ruling. So you, most people out there, and even practical Republicans in the state of Texas are saying, Hey, look, we don't necessarily agree with abortion. We don't support abortion, but we understand in this circumstance why abortion is appropriate. Of course, you have some other Republicans in the state of Texas, conservatives in the state of Texas, who are saying absolutely not. She should be giving birth to that baby and the right to life. Now I want to get to the state attorney. Me and my sister have talked have talked about the state attorney before. Y'all know him as Ken Paxton. Uh, Ken Paxton is the attorney general in Texas. His, his capacity in the state is to represent the state in legal matters, including lawsuits challenging state laws. That's his job. I get it. Uh, he is responsible for defending the state's law in this abortion case. His argument, his main argument has been well, she's not really been affected and it's not really affecting her life. She's been discharged from the hospital. Let me tell you all a little story about an ex-girlfriend of mine. Uh, maybe she's watching, maybe she's not. We have our issues, uh, but I still think that she's a remarkable woman. She has a daughter. I haven't spoken to her in probably about a year and a half. Uh, I don't know if she has any new kids, but I know for a fact that she has a daughter. Her daughter is probably around five or six right now. Her and her boyfriend, you know, were pregnant and they were together, but weren't living together. She was living in a little apartment not far from the hospital um, that they were going to have the baby at. So she started feeling pain and thought that she was going into labor. So she went to the hospital. The hospital is like, no, you're not going into labor. You're fine. You're just having some pains. Go on back home and come back. Basically, they basically told her, come back when, you know, it's it's more serious or when you're actually getting ready to have the baby. So she goes back home. 
and the pain gets worse and worse. And they already sent her home for the pain that she's had saying that she's not giving birth. Well, guess what? She went to lay down in the bathtub and she gave birth all on her own. The hospital sent her home saying that she wasn't going to be giving birth, but yet she gave birth on her own in the tub of her apartment. Called her boyfriend. They wrapped the baby up. Umbilical cord still attached to him. Went to the hospital and did everything that they needed to do. The hospital messed up. Doctors aren't always right. That's the reason why they call it practicing medicine, right? Nurses and 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 that extends to nurses and everybody else. It's practicing medicine. People make mistakes. So Ken Paxton is basing his argument that she shouldn't. Miss Katie uh, Cox should not have an abortion because it's not a threat to her life and that the hospital has already sent her home four times. Never mind the fact that she's had to go to the hospital four times due to this pregnancy. Never mind the fact that this pregnancy could cause her not to have future kids. She wants future kids. Like I said, she has two already, one, three, and one. All right. They wanted to have this baby. It's unfortunate that the baby has Edward syndrome. It's not a viable pregnancy, but you have Ken Paxton arguing with a hospital center home. And and if Ken Paxton was an honorable attorney that was defending the rights of the states and didn't have personal biases that were influencing his particular position, I would say, okay, I rock with him. But we know that's not the case. We know this man that have many investigations against him. What are his legal troubles? He was recently acquitted in the state Senate of 16 articles of impeachment because of various different uh, federal investigations in Texas. He has uh, security fraud charges. He's accused of defrauding investors by encouraging them to fund a tech startup that he was, unbeknownst to them, being paid to promote. Uh the felony is punishable for up to 99 years of prison. And even if Paxton is convicted and put on probation, he will lose his legal license. Uh, so he was a he was acquitted in the Senate for the federal investigation in Texas that he was under for since 2020. Um, just a little side note, his wife is a senator. So he was going to be acquitted uh, of those charges. But this dude has, but he still has a securities fraud, and that's a federal offense um, that he's still dealing with. This guy has is a shady individual, and if you do any little bit of research on on him, he's a public outspoken figure in the state of Texas. He's not a good guy. I, I I don't know him personally. I I I said earlier we can't make these outlandish accusations, right? I know I just said that, and I'm sounding like a hypocrite. But all of his actions make it seem as if he's not a good person. He's been under investigation several times. And in this particular case, yes, he is defending the state law. But every prosecutor has a right to look at the facts of the case and determine whether it should be uh, charges whether they should follow through with the case or if they should drop the case. She was already granted permission to get an abortion from a district judge. He, re- he 
forced the Supreme Court to make a decision. And the Supreme Court is like, we need a little bit more time to review the case. Meanwhile, this woman has already been to the hospital four times dealing with this pregnancy, a pregnancy of a child that will not last a week. We talk about the right to life. What about the right not to suffer? There's constantly been arguments about assisted suicide. And I'm going off on a little tangent, but follow me here. Recently, and I haven't talked about this on air, and I, and I rarely talked about this in my personal life. Uh, my friends and family, they ask me, I don't talk about this. And I'm going to try not to get emotional as I'm telling this story. But I think it's important to tell this story uh, in the context of suffering. I had a dog, Crypto. Crypto has been my dog since July of 2010. He's been with me through my divorce. He's been with me through loss of family members. It's my man, 100 grand. Crypto was sick. I knew crypto was sick. Crypto was suffering. And there was one particular weekend where I knew it was bad. It was a holiday weekend, so it was a little tough to get him to the vet. So I said, as, as soon as uh, the holiday weekend is over and the vet's offices are, are, are open, I'm going to take him to the vet and hopefully we can fix the issue that he had. I didn't get a chance to get to that point. Crypto had a seizure. I had to rush him to an emergency clinic. Um, there was nothing that we could do to help him. I had to put him down. Broke my heart. Still breaking my heart today. Were there things that we could have done to keep him alive? Of course. There were medicines and things that, that we could have done to keep him alive. I asked the vet, what would be his quality of life? And she said, well, it's not going to be good. And I'm looking at my dog, who I love dearly. And since that seizure, he hasn't really, like he's breathing, he's there, he's not really responsive. Um, and so I asked her, I said, what type of uh, medication have you put him on to, to, you know, to make him so sedated? She said, we haven't put him on any medication. This is where he's at right now. I couldn't, I couldn't have my dog suffering anymore. Despite the fact I didn't want to let him go. I did not want to let him go. I love him. He's been a part of my life for 14 years. 14 years. Didn't want to let him go. But that wasn't, it would have been selfish to keep him alive. We do that for animals. We do that to pet. He wasn't the first pet of mine. He was my dog. We've had family dogs, but he was my dog. But it wasn't the first pet that we've had to put down. In every situation, it was, just, it was we put down the pet because it was the most humane thing to do because who wants to do that suffering? I don't understand how we would treat pets that way. But we don't treat human beings that way. And I had a friend who had a mother who was suffering from dementia. And the mother was ready to go was ready to go, did not want to live the life when she was cognizant and aware, didn't want to live the life that she was living because she wasn't herself anymore. We don't really have assisted suicide, legal assisted suicide. So she had to suffer and die. Why is it that we would treat animals 
better than we would treat human beings. And in and, and, and that, when we've had, and I know a lot of people out there listening have, who've had family members that, that we didn't want to let go, they were battling cancer or terminal diseases or what have you, that we didn't want to let go because selfishly, we were going to miss them. But we have to let go because that's not, they don't want to suffer. And some people out there say, keep me alive no matter what. I've told my parents and my family, and I'm saying it live on air. If there's a surgery that I have to have to save my life, but it's removing any part of my body. <laughs> okay. The vanity part, you know, I don't want to lose any arms or legs. Say I had diabetes and say they had to cut off my leg to save my life. Or I got into a motorcycle accident and say I had to, they had to cut off my arm to save my arm. I don't have kids. Uh, so my situation is a little different. I don't want to live like that. Let me go. That's that's what I said. I know some people out there are going to say, Bruce, that's absolutely crazy. But it's my life. It's my quality of life. I know how I want to live. You can't tell me how I should live my life and how I want to exist in this world. So we treat pets with humanity. We don't treat people with humanity. And Texas right now is not treating this baby with humanity because this baby can't say, I'm in pain, I'm suffering. All it could do is cry, and that's what babies do most of the time is cry. We have no idea of what babies feel as far as pain is concerned because they can't tell us. Just like most of the time we can't tell what animals, what type of pain animals are feeling because they can't tell us. But because certain conservatives and politicians in the state of Texas are so adamant that they want to preserve life, not only are they going to put Katie and her family through suffering because she is, her body is suffering right now. Not only are they going to do that, but the very thing that they say that they're about preserving life and the right to life, they're putting that baby through pain and suffering. Look, morally, I don't know, right? Everybody has different morals. I'm not going to sit here and say what, how people should feel morally, but we all know what's right and what's wrong. Humanity is always right. Humanity is always moral. I don't understand why this is so difficult, and I hope that the Texas Supreme Court does the right thing here. And I pray for Katie and her family because I know that they're going through something that is a traumatic experience. And I hope that Katie and her family can have children in the future. And I pray for them. And I pray for all the people out there, everybody that's suffering with pain of losing uh, a loved one, whether it's a, a baby, whether it's a parent, an aunt. A friend, hell, even if it's a pet, all of it matters. Humanity matters. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Bruce Anthony here, and welcome to another episode of Unsolicited Perspectives. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's been on my mind lately, the importance of staying hydrated and taking care of ourselves. Whether it's prioritizing our health and wellness or gearing up for festival seasons or just gearing up for whatever season or time of year, there's one brand that's been my go-to for all things hydration. 
Liquid IV. Speaking of health and wellness, let's dive into how Liquid IV can fuel your well-being. Imagine starting your day off right, feeling refreshed and energized. Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier is the missing piece in your daily routine. With just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. It's perfect for those early mornings, pre-workout boosts, moments when you're just feeling run down, or even after a late night or long flights. I absolutely love how convenient Liquid IV is. The packaging makes it easy to bring with me wherever I go. And let me tell you, it's become vital daily part of my routine. The flavors, <laughs> let me tell you something, they're incredible. From refreshing sea berry and strawberry lemonade to classics like lemon lime and watermelon, there's a flavor for every preference. It's like a burst of hydration with a hint of deliciousness. Picture this. One stick of liquid IV mixed in 16 ounces of water, hydrating you two times faster and more efficient than water alone. And with 12 mouth-water and flavors, you'll never get bored with your hydration routine. Plus, liquid IV is packed with five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and of course, vitamin C. It's also made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, free of gluten, dairy, and soy. This is hydration at its finest. But it doesn't stop there. Liquid IV believes that access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world. That's why they partner with leading organizations finding innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. It's incredible to know that Liquid IV has already donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. They truly walk the talk. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code unsolicited at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code unsolicited at liquidiv.com. Remember folks, taking care of ourselves should always be a priority. So why wait? Head over to liquidiv.com, pick your favorite flavors and experience hydration like never before. Stay refreshed, stay hydrated, and keep rocking those unsolicited perspectives. You know, when me and my sister talk about institutional racism, you know, we get a lot of comments on YouTube and a lot of guys will, will not see these particular comments on YouTube. Um, a lot of them are racist. A lot of them are, are trolls. Uh, some of it is, you know, baiters trying get us in arguments and I, and I won't entertain those type of arguments. I just won't do it. But if I give you example after example, after example of ways that there are institutional racism that are based in history. And in fact, you really honestly can't argue with me about it because it's based in history and fact, despite the fact that people want to rewrite history, um, the information is still out there. You can still gather it. If you, if you want to learn, about the history in this country and the institutional racism, it's there. It's prevalent. Um, somebody sent me something that was I thought was really, really interesting uh, this week. And I, most Gen Zers that that listen to this show are not going to understand what it is I'm about to say because only millennials, boomers, Gen Gen X uh, will will understand what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is, y'all remember doing square dancing in school back in the day? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a thing. A lot of people, a lot of people in Gen Z are like, what the hell is square dancing? YouTube it. It still exists. It's still out there. But back in the day, uh, in school, mind you, in school, we would learn as a, and typically in gym class, as a physical activity, square dancing. And somebody sent me something that that explained why we were learning square dancing. Y'all know Henry Ford? He was the founder of Ford. You know, the cars, you know, Ford built tough, like all that stuff. Henry Ford was the automotive tycoon uh, and he was the significant influence of the popularity of square dancing. And I know y'all are thinking to yourself, wait a minute, how the hell is an automotive tycoon influencing square dancing? And then how does that correlate to square dancing in school? And Bruce, you were talking about institutional racism at first. I'm, I'm not following this. Let me connect the dots for you. It's not really that hard. In in response, uh, in response of of jazz music, and I'll get to that in a minute. He sparked a national movement. Henry Ford, I'm talking about, sparked a national movement in the 1920s to revitalize square dancing, which he saw as virtuous and a wholesome alternative. He poured a small fortune into promoting square dancing, funding radio shows, dance clubs, and inviting hundreds of dance instructors to his home. His efforts led to the addition of an early American dancing to the curricula of 34 colleges, and square dancing was also once part of physical education in school. I know, once again, y'all are saying, okay, dude likes square dancing. Like, I don't understand how that's a big dude and he puts some money into it to, to, to put his interest in the schools. I mean, Bruce, once again, I don't understand how this is institutional racism. Yeah, he didn't like jazz and he wanted things to be more traditional. But once again, how is this institu institu institutional racism, Bruce? You haven't made your point. You're just race baiting. Okay, well, let me just explain to you why. Ford despised jazz and saw it as a source of moral decay. He believed that jazz was a Jewish creation and a moral threat to America. Let me repeat that. He felt that jazz was a Jewish creation and moral threat to America. Now go back to what I said his stance was on square dancing. He found it virtuous and wholesome. Okay, so... He thinks jazz music is a Jewish creation, a moral threat and leading to the moral decay of American society. And he wants to promote uh, square dancing, uh, anti-Semitic. Yeah, because uh, I don't understand why uh, Jewish creation would be a bad thing. And, and, and jazz is cool. Right. Uh, but he was known to harbor anti-Semitic views, uh, views and racial biases. He associated jazz music with African-American and Jews and groups, the groups he held prejudice and views against. Okay, so once again, let's, let's rewind a little bit because I'm connecting all the dots for you if you didn't want to connect it. Henry Ford, the man whose name is still synonymous right now because there's Fords being sold all over the place. People buy Fords every day. Is a racist and anti-Semitic person, anti-Semite. That's what he is. He promoted square dancing because he thought it was virtuous and held true to American values. So much so that he put money into it, a lot of money into it to fund it, to fund the spread of it and funded it so well and spread it so wide 
that was actually put in the school curriculum in which everybody in America was learning how to square dance all the way up to my generation. He started in the 1920s. I was in elementary school and in, in, in middle school in the late 80s and early 90s. We're talking about 70 years of his influence in our school system, not just elementary and middle school, in colleges as well. 34 colleges instituted square dance into their curriculum. Uh, but you're saying, okay, so he was a little racist and he was a little anti-Semitic. Uh, uh, jazz music, he just didn't like jazz music, black, po- black folks and Jewish people like it, you know. Was it really that bad? Yeah, it was bad. Ford viewed jazz as a symbol of herbal de- urban decadence and moral decay. He believed that jazz with its improvisational, improvisational style and association with nightlife and dance halls promoted behaviors and attitudes that were contrary to his con- conservative values. Let me, let me, let me, you know, I, 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 I often say history repeats itself over and over and over again. If you pay attention to history, history repeats itself. Is what he's saying any different than what people were saying about disco? To what people were saying about uh, hip hop and rap music now, that it's the moral decay and conservative and goes against conservative values. Uh, by the way, conservative values also are what happened in the first segment where Katie Cox can't get an abortion from an unviable pregnancy because of conservative values. When exactly does conservative values help this country? What it does do is it promotes white Christian nationalism. That's what conservative values are. So much so that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene are calling themselves white Christian nationalists. I have a lot of Jewish friends and I tell them all the time that when you have people that all of a sudden come to your side, like the Marjorie Taylor Greene, like a lot of conservatives in the Republican Party who don't mind when I say come to their side with this situation that's happening in Gaza. I'm going off on a tangent, but follow me here. With the situation that's happening in Gaza, you have a lot of conservatives, all of a sudden, really good friends to Israel and Jewish people, but yet they take money, help, and support by a lot of the neo-Nazi groups and and racial group and anti-Semitic groups that are here in this country, Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, things of that nature. You don't see the contradiction? Be careful who you consider an ally because they're only an ally because it benefits them. So these conservative values, it it doesn't end there. Ford saw square dancing as a way to preserve tradition in American culture and it also promoted like country music and things of that nature, which he felt was American. Okay. Uh, and he felt like uh, square dancing was a wholesome alternative. Now, people would say, well, square dancing really isn't a thing anymore. And it's not. Uh, it's still popular in several states that happen to be in the South, where the majority of the conservatives are. But institutional racism this was this this is what i talk about when i say institutions had racist ideology and principles that they were pushing to try to eliminate jazz which by the way is, as is his own words is improvisation you improvise a lot in jazz right so what is another thing that you improvise in critical thinking 
to think for yourself. Square dancing is very structured. This is the way you do things. You don't deviate from it. There, there really isn't, you can't put any twist to it or anything like that. It is structured. You do it this way, you do it that way. Whereas jazz is creativity. Think about what dictators like to do. And I'm not calling Henry Ford a dictator, but there's a larger point here I'm trying to make. Think about what dictators like to do when they take power. They immediately kill business owners, entrepreneurs, politicians, teachers, uh, activists. They they go out and kill those people immediately. Why? Because those are people that think critically. Those are people that will challenge the status quo. Dictators eliminate all those people and instead keep people that fall in line, that don't rock the boat, who won't challenge the status quo, who will do what they are told and never question authority, which, by the way, is the most un-American thing that there is, because that's what we did, or not we, the founding fathers did in find in, in, in creating this country, right? That's what they did. But they want the, the powers that be want you or dictators want you to not question authority, to follow the rules, to follow this dance and do it exactly this way each and every time. Everybody doing it, creating this perfect, uniformed type dance without any privatization, without any creativity, without any thought. Think about that. Think about that. And this is what Henry Ford was pushing. And it didn't work, right? Like, well, it it worked in some cases and it worked in other cases because what you can't do from people is take away their creativity. So, yeah, I was taught to square dance. We hated it, didn't like it, thought it was lame, didn't understand why we couldn't change it up and do something like that. Why? Because I'm a hip hop kid. That's what we do. We create dances and all of a sudden we're doing the running man. We create a, a, a twist and it's like, hey, what is this new dance move? I don't know, but I like it and it looks dope. Right. That, that, that's and that's that's thought. That's creativity. That's what fuels this country. And, and I will also say that black culture fuels this country. Anything popular has been created by black culture. He, he brings up square dancing. Henry Ford brings up square dancing and country music. You know where country music comes from? Bluegrass, the Melingians, who were descendants of slaves. Where do you think rock and roll started? Everything starts kind of with black culture, fashion. All of it starts, uh, entertainment. All of it starts with black culture. Um, not to say that white culture doesn't have things that, are, that, that don't participate in that. Obviously, that's not the case. I'm just saying, a lot of forms of entertainment are started by black culture. And, and so that's the reason why they feel like it's the moral decay. So when I say institutional racism, Henry Ford, this is what I'm talking about. Square dancing. Who knew? Somebody just introduced that to me. I'm a historian, right? I thought I knew a lot about American history. And I do know a lot about American history, but this was a new one. And who would have thought? Henry Ford. Henry Ford. I didn't even know Henry Ford was a... a was an anti-Semite and, uh, and, and, and somebody who uh, didn't like black people. Well, I could probably imagine, you know, a white man in the 1920s, you know, particularly probably didn't like black people. Uh, but really, whew, I, I wonder, all my Jewish brethren out there, uh, y'all going to continue to support Ford? If you're driving a Ford right now, you're going to return it? Because, I mean, nah, you wasn't a supporter of the Jewish people at all. Uh, wow, that's that, that was, when I read that, that was something that was interesting. I didn't know about that. 
And uh, hey, you learn something new every day. And when you listen to the show, you learn something new every show, hopefully. All right. On the next uh, segment, I'm going to get into, I'm going to tell some stories of crypto. I I, I opened up uh, a little bit about crypto and and it was sad, but uh, I want to tell some some good stuff about crypto because he was an amazing dog. I didn't know when I started the show today that it was going to turn into a memorial of uh, crypto, but um, I have not talked about it. Those people that are close to me have been wanting me to talk about it. It's been a couple of months. It's been about three months. Uh, It has exactly been three months. Um, And I haven't talked about it. And, you know, I got a little emotional in that first segment. And I want to tell you some good stuff about crypto because everybody that met crypto thought he was crazy as hell, but he was just like his daddy. And this is what I mean by that. He was energetic. He didn't trust a lot of people. But when he did trust you, he absolutely loved you. And uh, he had personality for days. Let me tell you what this dude would do. First of all, I told you that I got him when I was with my ex-wife. This was before we even got married. So he loved my ex-wife. He loves women because he loves to cuddle. And I would cuddle, cuddle with him often, but he really loves women and loves to cuddle. So when I got my divorce and I'm out there dating, you know how, you know how players play. I'm out there dating, you know, setting the scene. He would let me know what women were good women and what women were not by this very simple thing. He barked at everybody that came in the door because he wanted to let you know that, hey, look, this is my house and I live here. You ain't running nothing. I want to let you know who I am. Acknowledge me. Give me a pet. We might be okay if I like you. That was crypto stance every time somebody walked in the house. If he liked a girl that I had by the house and I was letting him roam because sometimes he he didn't like not having attention. So I would have to put him away or put him in another room so that I could give the young lady attention. But if he was being a good boy and me and a young lady was sitting on the couch, if he liked her, he would jump on the couch, put his head in her lap. I always knew that when he did that, all right, this girl can be around for a little while. If he never did that, if he never calmed down, that was telling me that she wasn't it because he he dug energy. And everybody that he was absolutely cool with are actually good people. Uh, but he was also wild. Let me tell you how wild he was. Most of the time, I had places that were on the bottom floor when I had crypto. I would get garden style uh, either condos or apartments and my, uh, condo or apartment would be on the bottom floor because it was easier to let him out, uh, and then go back to bed or, or let him out real quick when he needed to go out or go for walks. It was easier to do that than to go upstairs in elevators. So one day, uh, I'm at my new place and this is after me, and my ex split. So it's the first place that I have, uh, after her. And, um, I take him out in the backyard. Like I said, I have a, a patio and screen doors and everything like that. And I would walk him without the leash because the the it led to a big field. And from that field, I could walk to, there was a school not too far from me that had a, a, a running track. And if it was late at night and nobody was around, I would walk him off the, off the leash because I, he was never going to leave my side. He would run up a little bit, look back to make sure I was there, but he always stayed by my side. But what he would do is when he was ready to go back home and we started getting close to home, he would run out ahead of me and go to the patio door and wait. 
Well, there was one particular time, once again, the screen doors that he, <laughs> it's nighttime, right? And he's running towards the screen doors, not realizing it's a screen door and ran straight through the screen door. Now you would have to understand crypto. They told me that he was a pit bull boxer mix when I got him. He was not. Uh, he definitely had some pit in him, but he was a runt. I mean, he was never more than 40 pounds. He was never taller. And I am tall, but he was never, never tall enough to be to stand up to my knees. He was a short dog, but he was so strong. He was really, really strong. And he ran through and there was a big hole. There was a big crypto size hole in my sliding door uh, that I had to get fixed. There's been other times we've been at the dog park uh, where he's run. He, he was so tough. He was so tough. Vets would give him shots and he wouldn't flinch. I mean, this dog was tough. This dog was so tough. One time we were at the dog park and he just loved to run. I mean, when he was a puppy, he would run for hours and hours and hours and hours. He would never get tired. I would take him for jogs and take him to the dog park. I would sit down at the dog park. After jogging with me a couple of miles, he would still go run around and play with dogs. till he was exhausted. Uh, one time, and he was really fast. One time he was running so fast and running so hard, he ran directly into a brick wall. So I freaked out. I'm like, he killed himself. He's broken his neck and my dog is dead. This fool bounced up, <laughs> looked at me, big smile on his face and kept on running. I mean, this is just, this is just who he was. He was, he was a wild boy that, that destroyed every toy that I gave to him. Even then they said that the dog toys were indestructible. He destroyed them, loved squeakies, uh, would give them the little, little balls that had squeakers in them. He would break them within 30 minutes. Uh, luckily those things were cheap. I would keep getting into him. He loved toys and he loved to cuddle. And he really loved my place right now. I have a balcony overlooking the courtyard and the pool and the whole nine. And he really loves sitting out there on the balcony with me. Matter of fact, the last day uh, we spent the day out there, the day before he passed, we spent the day out there and he had he had the seizure actually out there on the balcony. Um, so I know that he was going through it. But at least he was in his favorite place. Um, and he really loved that balcony, man. Really loved being out there. Uh, only when I was out there. He didn't want to be out there alone. But uh, when I was out there, he really loved it. Uh, I loved that dog. Loved that dog. And he was a trip. Everybody thought he was adorable. And he was. Uh, he was also a handful. Um, but I don't regret the 13 or 14 years with him at all. Um, okay, so... I'm going to give a couple of rundowns of some updates. This will be the last Tuesday show of the year. Um, we will be releasing one more Sibling Happy Hour. Uh, this is the 97th episode. The Sibling Happy Hour will be the 98th episode. We're taking a hiatus for the holidays. Uh, then we're going to come back at the beginning of the year, drop the 99th and the 100th episode. Uh, we got a lot of interviews lined up for the beginning of the year. First 100 episodes have been absolutely terrific. Uh, the next 100 episodes are going to be even better. I feel like the show is getting better and better each time that I'm on here, each time that my sister is on here. I feel like the interviews are getting better. The, the viewership and subscriptions are growing. Uh, we've, we just passed a thousand subscribers on YouTube within the first year to do that organically uh, is, is very I, I, I'm humbled. I'm honored. I've got to pat myself a little bit on the back. We have no name, right? We weren't a named person to grow those subscribers. It was generally 
genuinely uh, organic, people sharing, people liking, people commenting on it. Uh, we gain new followers every single day uh, on our audio and our video uh, platforms. I'm so grateful. I am so honored. I'm so humbled uh, that you guys enjoy the show. I know you love the Sibling Happy Hour the most. And who doesn't love my sister? She's absolutely hilarious. And the Sibling Happy Hour will continue on. It'll never stop. I also will continue to do shows by myself like this. I feel it's important uh, to get some of these things that I have off of my chest. I'm not going to put them behind the paywall because I feel like they're important. I want everybody to hear them. I'm also going to do the interviews because I like talking to interesting people. Um, I'm naturally nosy and I, I like n learning about people. Uh, so I'm going to continue to do the interviews as well. Uh, we still got the Patreon page. If you guys are missing us for the next for that week or in a half or so that we're, we're taking a hiatus during the holidays, join that Patreon page. Like I said, it's only five dollars until the end of the year. And we've got well over 40 to 50 shows on there. Uh, we gave you a little sneak peek uh, last week of one of the shows. Um, it, it's, it's, if you really like the Simpling Happy Hour and you really, really love the Dilly Dallin, me and my sister, Dilly Dallin, on the After Hours Uncensored. And then you, you hear more stories, more explicit personal stories from me on my Talk is Straight-ish uh, show as well on the Patreon page. But like I said, Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for watching. I really appreciate it. We're just getting started, right? We got to the 100. We're getting to the 100th episode. We're not going to stop there. Can't stop. Won't stop. Wait a minute. Can I quote Puff right now? Uh, okay. I'm going to take back that. Can't stop. Won't stop. Uh, but literally, we, we're going to continue on. Keep putting out that content. Uh, let us know. Comment on our Instagram page, on our YouTube page. Go to our website. You can find all that information at unsolicitedperspectives.com. Email us. Let us know topics that you want to talk about. Let us know if, if there are people out there that you want us to interview. If there are people that want to be on the show, you can you can fill out that guest intake form on our website. We're, we're open to a lot of conversations and a lot of events and topics that are shaping today's society. You get how I brought that back for a circle from the intro. But on that note, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And until next time, as always, I'll holla. Woo! That was a hell of a show. Thank you for rocking with us here on Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Now, before you go, don't forget to follow, subscribe, like, comment and share our podcast wherever you're listening or watching it to it pass it along to your friends if you enjoy it that means the people that you rock with will enjoy it also so share the wealth share the knowledge share the noise and for all those people that say well i don't have a youtube if you have a gmail account you have a youtube subscribe to our youtube channel where you can actually watch our video podcast but the real party is on our patreon page after hours uncensored and talk is straight ish after hours uncensored is another show with my sister and once again the key word there is uncensored those are exclusively on our patreon page jump onto our website at unsolicitedperspective.com for all things us that's where you can get all of our audio video our blog Blogs, and even buy our merch. And if you're really feeling genuine and want to help us out, you can donate on our donations page. Donations go strictly to improving our software and hardware so we can keep giving you guys good content that you can clearly listen to and that you can clearly see. So any donation would be appreciative. Most importantly, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and watching and supporting us. 
and I'll catch you next time. Audi 5000. Peace.